Welcome into episode 212 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike, and this episode is brought to you by Arturia. Arturia is a French company that originally specialized in software and synths and uh, drum machines, and they've recently launched an audio interface called the Audio Fuse 8 Pre. So this is an eight-channel interface, perfect for uh, drum home studios, because it has eight high-quality microphone inputs, has eight separate um, line outputs. It has a pad and a face switch on each channel, uh, and the best part is it is basically well. The list price is seven ninety nine. You can find it online now. Um, I'm looking at Sweetwater currently for six ninety nine. So you're getting eight uh, super clean, really beautiful sounding mic pre's for um, under one hundred dollars a piece. Hard to beat. And the audio you're hearing in the background is a demo of the drum brute impact drum machine so that's another product that for drummers if you're looking for a cool drum machine that a little bit more vibey than just your standard stock drum machine sounds check out their uh, drum brute impact i actually purchased one and it's coming to my studio soon so we'll have a review of that to drop in the show later but for now go to arturia's website check out this audio fuse 8 pre interface if you're looking to set up a home studio you can uh, daisy chain a few of these together so you can get up to 16 channels if you need that or more. Um, yeah, Arturia Audio Fuse 8 Pre, awesome interface. This is what I used when I was in London as well. So if we're going to dig back into this for now, um, let's talk about our intro beat. So this is Adam Stakalek. Gosh, sorry if I mispronounced your name. But Adam created a really cool, uh, basically a full track here. He said that he threw together some logic loops. Um, he's using crash cymbal hi-hat so he's got a 16 inch a custom over a k suite bottom uh gretch uh gretch maple kit he's got um george way snare some other diligent symbols he's using a mix of audio technica uh shore audix um, microphones he's got a focus right scarlet interface so let's check out uh, adam's beat and let's get the show actually not a beat let's check out adam's tune and let's get the show going Here we are. Uh, welcome into our first podcast ever counted in, in seven. In seven. How you doing, bud? I'm good. I think we need to kind of explain what's been going on the past few weeks because we've been posting the show a little bit later than usual. So yeah. we just had exceedingly crazy schedules. You're finishing up what you just said is one of your most intense teaching or camps. So, yeah. you know, anyone who's been on a schedule, I know I know you kind of expect, all of us expect their things to be released when they're supposed to be released. Our goal right. is to put this thing out at 9 a.m. on Fridays. We have not made our goal for probably about a month, so we'll get back on schedule soon. <laughs> We're trying, and just so you know, it starts, the week starts with us going like, all right, man, so 9 a.m. Wednesday, yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. And then right around 8.52, one of us goes, is there any way we could do this tomorrow? Yeah. Is there any way, because we just have other things that are going on in our lives. Uh, even though it seems on a public level like Mike is just gallivanting around the world yeah, doing right. clinics and, <laughs> and doing the podcast, he actually has a full-time job at Modern Drummer. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the catch. So my apologies is usually my problem with, with this, but uh, we're going to get back on schedule. But that said, it's cool that we have a lot to talk about. So Absolutely. you need to tell me what the heck is going on. So where do we begin? Do we talk about where you're at now in the camp, or do you want to talk about this goofy product you, you launched yeah i mean dude it's it was meant to signal that the cows are coming home why are we playing with the stick why do we no, play I, a cowbell I, huh. you know that's a good that's let's go down that rabbit hole next week when who was the first person to hit it what country did that start in huh. i think you know i think the i don't think the cowbell itself is very interesting it's a cowbell if you want one go get one I think what's interesting is what it takes to produce a product when that product doesn't exist. You know, uh, yeah. the one thing I want to talk about, because this is the one thing, first of all, I have to say, I was shocked at how little trolling there was on that product, on the comments. On a cowbell? Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I you was didn't, ready. How many, I you mean, didn't get any more cowbells? None, not one? I, I, I mean, those, I well, one, I even titled my YouTube video, maybe it is time for more cowbell okay. just All to right. squash it before they even All had right. a chance smart smart i went the m&m route yes <laughs> i'm small and i'm white and i rap let's go <laughs> can we get over that 
So I kind of went that route with that. But uh, but I, I was really expecting, especially on Meinl's social media posts, because I think when people comment on that, they don't think that I'm actually... They're not commenting on my stuff. Yeah. I was surprised how little trolling there was. But the... I guess the critique that I saw quite a few times, which I think was great critique, was it took you three years to make a cowbell. Yeah, I mean, so here's yeah. what I want to talk about. That's a good point because that's, I mean, yeah, we can talk about it in all areas of production, but it's not like you just grabbed some metal and bent it and said, "Hey, this is my cowbell." You right. Know, you've got to get also a lot of channels. You know, I think we should be honest or be transparent. I'm not a percussionist, so me trying to explain what I want out of a cowbell is not the same as me explaining what I want out of a ride cymbal. Mm. I mean, how do I tell them, like, I don't know, more cowbelly, but less the way it sounds now? That, it's a tough thing. The other thing that took so long is it's not the most important part of my drum set, so it wasn't a massive priority. So they would send me a cowbell. I'd mess with it. Maybe three months later, I'd send them a video back saying, it's cool. But the pitch is too high. I'm mm-hmm. assuming that's because it's too small. Can we make it wider? They'd make it wider. That takes time to go make a brand new cowbell. Wait, so you got like a stack of like 300 random I do. types. <laughs> I have I, I, I have powder coated ones. I have sandblasted ones. I've got everything. What was um, the biggest fail? The biggest fail was a. It was the size that was the problem, but I said, you know, can we make it wider? And they made it wider. They did exactly what I said. They made it wider, but not deeper. And so it was just this really wide, short cowbell that was painted white. And it just was like, it was one of the most unpleasing sounds you could ever imagine. <laughs> it never, like, it never made it to the kit. I, I, I undid the box hit it with my finger and I was like, nope. <laughs> I just put it back down. No, nope. so got, that's going to be like a prank giveaway or something. <laughs> yeah. Hey man. Uh, so I was just in Cuba and I guess this is what all the cats are using. So, so yeah. So I wanted to talk about that a little bit. You know, it does take a long time to prototype a product. And so I would say out of those three years, maybe it's a total of seven days of what it would have been yeah. if I was at the factory going, nope, nope, nope. But yeah. because I live in America and because it just took a while and because it's not the biggest priority on my drum set, we worked on it for the course of three years. But I did want to explain that because I kind of, I guess the video made it sound like night and day, three years to make a cowbell. <laughs> it's like, not really. That's not what happened. Um, yeah, and everyone's so like, wow, yeah. yeah, it sounds like a cowbell. <laughs> three yeah, exactly. years well Wow. <laughs> you, yeah, well... I wonder what you could do with five years. So, <laughs> so yeah, so it does take a long time to do that stuff. And then once it's finally done, uh, then you start with the finish. What's, what's it going to look like? Mm-hmm. And that wasn't an easy thing to do because to put patina on something requires acid and things that aren't safe. So where are we doing that? Who's mm-hmm. doing that? What country is doing that? That takes a long time. So we ended up going with a brushed look instead of a patina thing that involves chemicals. So that to, even that was a prototyping process. What do you? Th- they would send me three cowbells and say, "Which one do you like the look of the most?" So mm-hmm. that took a while. Once we got that down, then it came down to something we talked about on this podcast before, which was now we are prototyping the packaging. What's it going to look like? Yeah, Is it in a box? Right. Is it in a bag? Go Art through work. all that. Yeah, artwork. Yeah, and then I think we talked about it on the podcast too when they said, "Okay, we need you to come up with the copy or the text for the packaging." It's like. Sounds like cowbell hit, <laughs> hit smile. I don't know. I mean, what what text is there? So you know, I probably should have hired you for that. Um, so we go through all that, and then once it's done, then the scheduling starts months in advance. Like, okay, now we're going to need a YouTube video that's three minutes. We're going to need an Instagram video that's sixty seconds. That mm-hmm. is not the same as the YouTube video. We're going to need Instagram stories. While you're there, please film three to five lessons in under a minute. That mm-hmm. show off the cowbell. We're going to need three drum solos to use in Instagram stories or Instagram posts. So please export those in uh, portrait and landscape. Mm-hmm. So all that stuff. And that has to be done months ahead of time. Then what goes on is then Minel has to get a hold of all the stores all over the world. Would you like to purchase any of these cowbells? <laughs> yeah. So it's, it, it's, there's so much that goes into like, did they take People. orders before they produced them to know what they needed? Or they just guessed, like we have to do 500 or whatever. And That I don't know. Um, I do know that they're all sold out wherever they went, so it was under-ordered. Um, but they, these are still, this isn't like a machine making cowbells. These are still handmade cowbells, so mm-hmm. they take a while to make. I mean, I'm sure there's machine aspects of it, but they're not just like 
press a button and there's a thousand cowbells. So I know that Sweetwater was sold out of them within the first day. Um, and then we're, you know, and then you have to also wait for, okay, Meinl did their job, but that doesn't mean that every store in the country knows how to update their website with a new SKU and a new product picture. Right. So sometimes it takes a little while for it to trickle in. So you're even on a release date, you still might have a month before it's available where someone is used to getting their gear from. So it was pretty intense, man. Pretty intense. So you're ready to shelve it and never use it again? <laughs> I'm done. three years of cowbell practice. Yeah. I hate cowbells. <laughs> no, I, I got to say, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to have done what I hoped the transitioner I did back in the day, which is this filled a hole in the lineup. Now, I'm sure I'm not a... I'm not a cowbell expert, so I'm sure LP has a very similar sounding cowbell. I'm sure gong bops have amazingly tran- um, traditional sounding cowbells. But in the minor percussion world, this just didn't exist, the mm-hmm. general funk cowbell. Mm-hmm. So I- I'm really happy with it. I'm really happy to the reaction. A lot of people said what I was hoping they said, which was, I've been waiting to get a cowbell. I just didn't know which one to get. Thank you. Done. Yeah. It was like it takes the yeah. guesswork out of it. So it's cool. cool. So that's all done. And now I'm in the smack dab in the middle of teacher camp. And um, today is their final project. So I want to know from you. Okay. You're a teacher. And you're probably in the same boat as every camper that's here as far as you can handle a one-on-one lesson. No problem. You're a little bit ahead of the curve because you've done public speaking and stuff. But their final project is they're going to get up on my stage and do my job. They're going to do a 10-minute clinic live streamed on mikeslessons.com. Mm. And so they're going to be wearing the lapel mic and they have to hit the pedal when they speak and hit the pedal when they play. Yeah. And they have to stare into a camera and deliver content for 10 minutes without breaking eye contact with that camera unless they're playing. How do you feel about that? Um, for you I, personally, like if you had to come here and do that, are you at a place now where you're good on camera? Yeah, speaking? you made me do that when I visited your place like 25 years ago. That's right. Twenty five years ago. <laughs> you just took the day off. You're like, hey, go teach my lesson for me. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so you have done it. So now you know what they're in for. Yeah, it wasn't. I mean, the, the most disconcerting part for me is just you're talking to a robot. You're not talking to a human. Yes. Like that, how mm-hmm. you – because I work on interaction – you know, with emotional interaction. So just to like kind of guess what the emotional response might be to what I'm saying, that was the weirdest part. And it is the weirdest part whenever I talk to a camera. But, um, I think, and I didn't really know what I was going to teach that day either. So the the anxiety was not knowing what I'm going to teach, but once I just figured, okay, this is what I'm going to do, then it was fine. So I think knowing the content, which is exactly the way I feel about being a writer for, modern drummer i have no training but i have 30 years of experience as a drummer so i feel like my my knowledge and confidence with the content can push me through all the insecurities of delivery yeah. and all of that so it doesn't For scare sure. me as much i mean i i don't think i ever watched it what i did on your site i think that's where the anxiety mm-hmm. would really kick in of like oh man like i don't i've never seen any of my clinics back because i just oh, okay. refused to do it yeah because i posted yours earlier today oh yeah i'm sure it's beautiful no, <laughs> no I, you, were, you were playing different drums and different cymbals back then yeah i can't <laughs> post it <laughs> uh but no i i think probably the toughest thing and maybe you have recall of this or not but toughest thing is getting started and finishing how mm-hmm. do i get out of this how do i get into this yeah what, what like, is my well, opening I line guess we're done here <laughs> yeah yeah so you can't fade out and um, well, that and even some of the campers ask, like, well, can I just play a song and you fade me out and then hit the outro music? I'm like, no, no, I need you to sign <laughs> off. I want you to get used to saying thank you guys so much for checking out today's lesson. I hope you got something out of this and I will see you next time. Like, you got to be ready for that. Yeah, yeah. You know, instead of like, I'm out of, I don't. Or looking so over like, are we good? Cool. All right. Are we, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've told them, I said, do not check. Don't look into the control room. Don't check with me for approval. You are on your own. You've got this. So That's great. Uh, all the Mike's Lessons family members, you will have, you'll be hearing this podcast after this happens. So if you tuned in to support the campers, thank you. I'm sure they're going to be nervous and your support means everything. And it's going to be a fun day. So we've got that going on. But now we need to dig into some real stuff. Okay, which part? <laughs> Klaus. Klaus Holy Hessler. Yeah, Klaus Hessler. Jesus. So he... Um, He's kicking off. This is a November issue, so we're just – this is a brand-new issue. Hopefully, all of you listening have your copies. If not, you'll get them soon. I'm looking at the calendar. 
that should be available in stores, and the digital came out a few days ago. So there's no excuse. If you're a subscriber, you have access to it. If you're in Europe, you might not get your print copy for a while. Um, but anyway, he's kicking off a series. This is Klaus Hessler's series on ancient rudimental uh, vocabulary. It's called the the Rudimental Codex, which is all coming from... I mean, the, the origins are kind of tough to, to pinpoint, but... He says France, Switzerland, and Germany. Mm. And we're talking ancient. And the first thing that I thought was really ironic is we're talking ancient rudiments. And what is the first rudiment? It's a quintuplet with rolls in the middle of it. <laughs> right? <laughs> what I'm like, come on. They didn't know what that modern was. and hip today. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Codex actually, uh, just word for word, means an ancient manuscript text in book form. There you go. I had that off the top of my head. Yeah, I'm sure no, you I did. did not. I'm sure you did. Okay, so um, first of all, Klaus, <clears throat> I think, I, I mean, I don't know where everything stands, but man, when it comes to this stuff, he is the guy that I would run to as a drum set player. Now, yeah. I, there's plenty of, I'm sure there's plenty of rudimental, obsessed people in the marching world, in the symphonic world, but as a drum set player, I don't know anybody that cares about it as much as he does. Yeah, he's kind of got it wired in. And, and his angle being from Europe and, and focusing more on the European approach is different than mm-hmm. what I'm used to in the States, which is everyone is focusing on colonial and Civil War era stuff. So it's it's literally a different language, which I right. think is it's awesome because when I hear him play this stuff, I'm like, you are, you're speaking a different language. Like I don't understand any of this interpretation, this phrasing. Well, that's the thing is we always make the analogy that music is a language and that our rudiments are our vocabulary words. And he's using different words than what we have access to. And I always say like, Nobody's got access to different, you know, rudiments. It's like, no, well, some do. Yeah, um, the one that's called I mean, the final of seven. <laughs> final of seven. Okay, so this this was a biscuit. So, first of all, it's a quintuplet. So, if we can give each note of the quintuplet its own syllable. So, I'm going to give it four sixteenth notes and a guh. One E and a guh. Okay. The one and the guh would be singles. Uh, and sorry, and the uh, uh. So, one uh is singles and then you've got a five stroke or two diddles in the middle <laughs> Try so, again. You've got one, <laughs> so you've got one e and a guh right right one right. e and a okay. guh one e and a go and then getting used to that and then it's going to alternate one yeah. e and a guh two e and a guh three e and a guh four e and a guh beautiful Holy hell. You know what he doesn't um, share? Maybe, Klaus, hopefully you listen. You can, you can chime in. How do they count this stuff? Like, what is the words? What is the, what is the phrasing? Yeah. They don't use one eanda because that's English or sort of. Right. Right? <laughs> yeah. Eins eanda. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, so just that in itself, cool phrasing. I mean, what, what's funny is pretty much what you alluded to. That phrasing all by itself, that is 100% Annika on Instagram. Like, hey, I'm working on my quintuplets and I did some diddles in the middle. Now, do you think that's because this is something that we should ask her? She's from yeah. Germany, so did she learn this stuff as part know. of her rudimental studies, or did she? I don't think. I mean, the the few times that we've had the chance to hang out and just talk a little bit about quintuplets, it seemed like she felt it was an unexplored subdivision and she just I don't I can tell you this she definitely didn't set out for it to become as cool as it became because of her that was not her goal her goal was not to separate herself from the YouTube drummers or anything she really did think well this is unexplored why do we always skip from 16th notes to 16th note triplets and she went deep on it but I think that when I see this I could see her handwriting this and then signing her name. I'd be yeah. like, oh, yeah, she she's taking it further than it's ever been taken. Or it's ancient. Or it's 300-plus years old. What? <laughs> what? Oh, my gosh. So maybe we they would have explain... written this with by dipping a feather into ink. <laughs> Do you want to explain the rudiment again? The final of seven. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You want, you want me to crush this one one more time? So you've got five evenly spaced notes, if you think of it that way, for a quintuplet. One, E, and a, uh, guh. We're going to play a single on the first note, one. Then we have two diddles, E, and. Then two more singles, a, uh, guh. One, E, and, a, uh, guh. Two, E, and, a, uh, guh. Three, E, and, a, uh, guh. 
beautiful. Now, the reversed final of seven. <laughs> I'm laying out. I did my job, Dawson. Figure it out from here. The reversed final of seven would be play three singles and then two diddles. Accent the third single. So you're accenting the third note of the five followed by two diddles. It's, it's literally just the backwards. Well, it's not the backwards version. It's just displaced in a funky way. So two, three singles, two diddles. Go for it. <laughs> I can't use your <laughs> phrasing, though. Yeah. Nice. So I, I just count fives as one, two, three, four, five. So one, two, That's three, fine, four, too. five. One, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, yeah. four, five. One, two, three, four, five. One. Right. Yeah, I mean, you can you can do anything you want to keep track of it. And the only reason I've ever used the phrasing that I use is for when you're going past a bar and you need to know where you are in the time. Mm. Oh, it, okay. At least it gives you a reference of one e and to go two e and to go three e and to go four e and to go one e and to go two. Um, and when I've done, I grew up so. Uh, uh, what are the, quintuplets for me were uh, hippopotamus. That was my teacher's word that he gave me okay hippopotamus 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 and then david letterman david letterman david letterman very american okay <laughs> so those were my fives and then obviously when benny's dvd came out it became university but it's all the exact same thing it's saying something or counting to five one two three four five one two three four five <laughs> all right works too so i think finding what works for you but understanding i think the real key here if you're an intermediate drummer and you see this is understanding that while you're saying one thing with your voice let's say we go back to the original final of seven rudiment the first note is a single and i say what dawson was saying one i can hit i can say two but hit two notes one two three that's the hard thing is people have a hard time separating their voice from their hands and realizing in the same amount of time that you said one syllable, you can hit something twice with your hand. Mm-hmm. Yes, which is something I guess was reinforced for me in years of drumline of, of just drilling in our heads. Your hands are playing a consistent subdivision. Sometimes you're dropping in a double. Sometimes you're playing a tap. Yeah, I've, I've tried to get my students to understand that every time that stick comes down, you have a few options. You have a single stroke, a double or a diddle, or you have a buzz. Those are your textural options. Mm-hmm. Then you have dynamic options of those as well, ghost note or accent. Yeah, rim shots. But but yeah, but a buzz for me, I still say E when it comes down. I don't go E. Right. Like, <laughs> it's just E. <laughs> if anyone needs to hire me for their band to be their singer, I got you. I oh, can say man. E. I, tell them, I don't know why this reminded me, but I, I sent you a picture of the t-shirt that showed up at my house. Yes. <laughs> Holy heck. So I found out who did it. So you, I guess you had made the call for someone to please send me a t-shirt that said, I'm a ding-dong daddy with Gene Krupa's <laughs> face on it. Oh, my God. It showed up, and it was our good friends at Big Fat Snare Drum who sent that. No way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Awesome. So okay, I so. might be wearing that shirt at every clinic now until eternity just because. Yeah, I'm a ding-dong daddy. <laughs> Why would anyone not want to be proud of that? <laughs> Super ridiculous. It, it's much better than I'm a tiny, tiny man. That's like, <laughs> no one wants to wear that shirt, but I'm a ding-dong daddy. Hell that's yeah. the actual that's, name of the song. That's a that's a, the actual name. <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> they had substances. Okay, moving on. Okay. So when Klaus takes this thing to the kit, starts breaking it up between uh, hand and foot or snare and kick, I think that's where things get kind of interesting because in that instance, you start having to accent this in different places. And that's really what throws fives off for most people. If you take your general five and say... To a somewhat advanced drummer, play me some fives. I guarantee they'll accent one and three. One, two, three, four, five. One, yeah. two, three, four, five. Every time. Mm, we're almost it always doesn't learning to them as a phrasing rather than a subdivision. Right. Yeah. And so I think this, once we get to number six number seven, and number seven on his uh, sheet, immediately it's like, uh, okay, I, get, I don't get to play what he wrote out for me because I'm actually now going to have to take those five notes and learn that accent pattern and then learn that accent pattern and learn that accent pattern. And this could just be an awesome study in quintuplets. And when you have something specific that you have to do like this to achieve, what is the guy? One, two, three, four. So an eight bar, 12 bar. So 16 bar phrase for number six. Mm -hmm. The amount of quintuplet 
work that would go into that to learn that 16 bar phrase, you would never struggle with quintuplets again. Yeah. At least understanding them because even just to learn the first bar, that's going to take you three days, four days. Yeah, because he longer. hits on just about every accent combination of like one or two accents per right. quintuplet. And, and think about getting that down. Yeah. Right, and think about getting that down. If you were getting that down, how would you do it? With a metronome and, and you would slow it down. You would have this so internalized and neither of us will do it. But still, you would if you, <laughs> if you guys went out there and practiced it. <laughs> I like that he ends with two kind of like etude style pieces. So it's not mm-hmm. just learn this thing and forget about it. It's like now I'm going to in, insert this these two interpretations of this rudiment within yeah. eight bar phrases, and that kind of unlocks the possibilities of oh, it doesn't have to be interpreted with the doubles on the second and third partial or the fourth and fifth. It can be placed anywhere in a five, and now you've got a whole world. The idea is just play fives, and two of the notes become diddles, and now you've got. Right endless possibilities yeah and the the other thing that i want to say for those of you that haven't seen klaus play or don't know who klaus hessler is i really love that somebody that has this kind of brain can actually pull this stuff off yeah he's not a decent drummer and an amazing educator the dude is a player yeah i mean to hear him play this on a traditional drum you think that's what he does for a living all he does yeah. is play rudimental drumming and then you hear him right. on a drum set and you're like oh okay yeah well okay. <laughs> clearly there's more time in the day in germany than there is in america <laughs> somehow they're practicing more uh, yeah. awesome well check out this article so once again it's called the ancient european rudimental codex written by klaus hessler it is in the current issue of modern drummer in the strictly technique section Now on to our cover artist, yes. your cover artist. I yep. don't, I'm not there. <laughs> um, okay, so I might have a new favorite rock drummer. Yeah, Reconteurs, Patrick Keeler. Um, it's kind of, I mean, that's the band he's associated with currently, but he's been in the Greenhorns for a long time. He was touring with the Afghan Wigs for a few years, so uh, okay. he's kind of, uh, you know, he's been kind of killing it. And in the story, which I had no idea, he had kind of given up playing professionally and became a graphic designer for a few years so he became like an art director really yeah and then the drumming was you know if i if he had to go on the road for a few weeks or whatever cool but it wasn't like his his 24 7 career which is pretty interesting and then you know jack white says hey let's let's get the band back together again and now he's back to selling out theaters with (laughs) the raconteurs pretty awesome that is really cool and he might be my favorite rock drummer alive at the moment because um, it's got it's got all that stuff that that we all love about classic rock, but there's there's all the new stuff too. It's like he he's absorbed it all. He has you know some Keith yeah. Moon and John Bonham, but then he also knows what hip hop is all about. Yeah, that's the thing is it's so funny that you said those two guys and hip hop because his drum sound is that it's like it's almost as compressed and crunchy as a hip hop album, but yeah. it's. It's almost like they compressed a wide open bottom kit at yeah. times. Yeah, it's pretty magical. It's, yeah, it's really cool. So you know the story is great. I think if again if you haven't read it yet, um, and if you haven't checked out the Reckon Tours, I think the new record. It's there's three records, and each one is its own universe. I think they're all kind of in the in a certain vibe. The first record is maybe a little more lo-fi. The second record is just huge and punchy and some of the best drum sounds I've ever heard. And the new record, I feel like it's just a little more creative, a little more a little more abstract, a little more varied. So just between those three records, I feel like I've got I've got my rock and roll covered for the next ten yeah. years. <laughs> no, I agree, and I think we're we've been in a place for quite a while that it's not that rock isn't existing, it's just that it's not popular. It's yeah. popular to people that like it, but it hasn't taken over like it did, say, in the grunge era or the 80s or the 70s. It's been just kind of you have to search for it. And so the fact that there's a new album out with these guys is really, really cool. So you want to take a listen to one of their songs? Yeah, so in the story, we we zeroed in on one particularly awesome track, um, Hey Jip, Dig the Slowness. And we transcribed the first one, two, three, four, first eight bars of it. Um, and just to give you kind of the scene, the scene, his right hand is on the floor tom, his left hand is on a left side snare. I believe that has like a Kevlar head on it, so it sounds like super crunchy. But then his right hand is also coming over and hitting the main snare, which is kind of your big open classic snare drum sound. So there's all this kind of back and forth with the hands. 
Um, and the way he explains it, he just sat down and just kind of improvised this, and that became the part for the song. I think they did this in one take. Of course. Of course. So this is the first, you know, eight bars or so of Hey Jip, Dig the Slowness. Was it last week that I was telling you about um, my favorite drummer is this guy that plays for the Raconteurs? Um, I, I can't remember. I think I sent you that text. But anyways, Patrick's a beast. I've always talked about him with you. And I'm always calling Carter like, hey, man, let's talk about Pat- Patrick. And I can't pronounce his last name because he's my favorite drummer. Um, damn. Yeah, there's that, so okay, much that's, Isn't that the dream of drummers, though? It's like, okay, I'm going to practice this stuff, but I'll never get to play it on an album. Who's going to let me play this stuff unless I'm in a fusion band? Right. Damn. Yeah, it's like six-stroke roll heaven. (laughs) Right? Yeah, it's so weird because just like you said uh, with a mix of Bonham and Moon and modern hip-hop, now it's a mix of modern rock drummer that got stuck in 1932 and had to play ragtime. Yeah, like Gene Krupa. Yeah. Right. (laughs) I just, I mean, I can't imagine Jack White going like, you know how to play a Charleston? What? (laughs) No. Yeah, I guess. I've I've never, yeah, I learned it when I was a kid, but I never had to do it. Yeah, okay. Uh, Well, we're doing it on this tune. Let's take down, let's take that path. So you're in a studio with Jack White, and he says, give me something that's sort of like a Charleston. Would you ever in a million years say, okay, I'm going to put my left hand on a a left side snare with a Kevlar head on it, and I'm going to do this thing where I'm kind of like open-handed, or would you just do okay, Charleston? Here's Charleston, or here's the boat. I would literally be on the floor, time going bump, dump, 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 yeah, bump, sing, bump, sing, sing, or something. Yeah, exactly. So it that, wouldn't even occur to me. And the so, fact I mean, that they just improvised it. It was a first take. They were done. Next song. That's that's ridiculous to me. Yeah, and <laughs> it's got like this in between feel of it's almost got the f- it's in between sing, 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 and maybe like a train beat, like Devil Down in Georgia. Mm-hmm. You know that it's it's a weird thing, man. But super super hip. I have a question I, that I don't know the answer of. I'm not <clears throat> going to pretend to be the biggest Jack White fanatic, so I don't know all of his stuff. But is he a drummer as well? Yeah, he's actually a really good drummer. I thought so. Okay, I thought you had talked about that in the past, and I wonder what the communication between Jack and Patrick is like because I know what it's like. I mean, Dino, my guitarist, is in his his thoughts are far superior to mine so his mm. he may not have the facility but he can think and i take his advice all the time and i wonder if there's a nice open dialogue on the drumming level between those two it's got to be i mean i don't know jack but it seems like he's probably one of the coolest people to work with just cuz he's you know he clearly he's letting his band sound like the band like everyone is equal parts here but being able to speak the language, I, I really, for me, Jack White is kind of the ultimate rock star. Like his, it's just real. It's authentic. It's also yeah. kind of weird. It's also kind of intense and intimidating in a certain way. Right. I think, and he doesn't he doesn't mince words. But at the same time, you see him being really kind of warm with people. It's like that's totally. He's not I, a jerk. Yeah, I can imagine yeah. being in that band. It's just like yeah, do whatever the hell you want to do. Sort of Bo Diddley, sort of Jim Krupa, and right. we'll see at the end. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine the biggest communication with Jack is a smile. If he smiles at you, you know you're on the right track and you keep on moving. Uh, I got to say, too, that hearing Patrick play, because of this story, uh, I got to hear some of the old raconteur stuff, which, uh, like you said, I'd heard the hits, but I hadn't heard the band, really. I didn't even know who it was. Mm. Uh, I just knew the songs. But what an awesome Ludwig artist. Right. Like, it just kind of works, right? (laughs) Yeah. If if Black I dots, scrolled up, yeah. I mean, I I won't name any brands, but if I scrolled up and saw one of three other brands, I'd be like, what? He's playing that? <laughs> but as soon as I scrolled up, like, I'm going through the article and I'm like thinking, okay, let's check out his gear. It's either Ludwig Gretsch or he bought an old Rogers and it's yeah, Ludwig. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah, it's perfect. Absolutely perfect. And then I could just see him being like, what? There's something other than a sparkle finish? Well, I don't want that. And no, just send me a sparkle finish. And that's a Vista Light kit, by the way. So that's a special Wait, sparkle Vista in a light. sparkle? Yeah. Yep. They, they did a few of those. It's a cop- copper sparkle Vista Light. So it looks like a wrap, but it's actually acrylic. It's so cool when like your favorite drummer does the cool things. I've been into him for so long. 
Um, I can't tell. I don't think that's a Meinl Groove Bell on his kit, though. I think he's got probably his own cowbell. That looks but like no, an I, old original uh, Ludwig. Yeah. Did they make cowbells back in the day? Yeah, that's the that's the John Bonham cowbell, like the good times, oh, bad wow, times I didn't know cowbell. that. Yeah. That's really cool. So one thing I will say, obviously I'm making fun of the fact that as into the drumming world as I am and Mike is and everything, obviously you can't keep track of everybody, but it's so cool when you find somebody and you say, okay, this dude's been killing it for a long time. I had no idea who he was, but I'm so excited now to go down the rabbit hole of drumming with somebody who I didn't know before because sometimes we can get a little bit used to it. Like, yeah. I love the drummers I love, but I've heard them play a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy I want to hear someone new record. Play. Now, um, here's my suggestion for anyone if you're new to the tours, just pick any record, but. Listen to the first cut on their second album, Consoler of the Lonely. If you're into nerdy, like, metric modulation stuff, right out of the gates, it just floors you with this shift. Like, whoa, okay, that is something I never heard anyone do, especially in a rock band. I think it's the first cut. Um, I'll find it. So that's my Consoler of the Lonely is the record for me that's like, that's one of the greatest rock records ever. But this new one, um, what's it called? Help Me Stranger? Help a stranger. It's 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 growing on me really really fast. And the first one, I think, because he had some hits, I just identify like that's the Raconteurs. But that second record for me is like that's my Stairway to Heaven version of this. Um, anyway, so the track, I think it's called Consoler of the Lonely. Yeah, it's it's the title cut. It just comes out of the gate with this modulation. You're like, okay, these guys are not messing around. So start there. <laughs> Once again, to thank our sponsor, Arturia, check out the AudioFuse 8 Pre interface. This is an 8-channel audio interface that you can also daisy-chain a few of these together. But if you're looking to get a home studio up and running with one single piece of gear, you don't need to worry about buying a bunch of outboard gear and other mic pre's and all that, this would be a good place to start. It is a list price of $7.99. You can find it online at Sweetwater and other uh, dealers probably for about 100 bucks cheaper than that. But either way, you're getting a heck of a bargain because you're essentially paying about 100 bucks or less per mic pre, and there's no way you can find that in any other situation where you buy a separate high-quality mic pre. So the, that's a bargain. Um, this is what we used in when I was in London to demo this, and um, we were all kind of blown away by how just quiet and transparent these pre's were. And along with that, um, they also give you um, a suite of plugins, which are, they call it the AudioFuse Creative Suite. So you get like a Trident, a vintage style mic pre emulator. You get a 1973, which is a Neve style um, emulator. You get a V76. So, so in addition to having a super transparent, clean, modern uh, mic pre with the interface you also get these these plugins that can then color and stylize the sound to be a little bit more vintage or more you know more vibey so lots of cool stuff there you also get some compress a compressor and a delay and some filters so it's a really worthwhile investment especially if you're looking to get your home studio up and running um, start with the arturia audio fuse 8 pre you can find out more about that at arturia.com all right so it's time to dig into some gear. Let's. The new Yamaha, they're not quite new, but Yamaha sent me um, four snare drums to do a pretty interesting A-B comparison. They sent me two Tor custom drums. One's a 55 by 14 one's a 6 by 14 and then two recording custom drums. One was a 55 by 14 and one was a big 8 by 14 So we're comparing kind of affordable all maple drums, which would be the tour custom versus the high, high dollar recording custom birch drums. Right. And it's just from reading the article and I, I used to be a Yamaha artist, so I love all their drums, have huge respect for the company. The tour custom is going to give you that modern sound. You got 45 degree bearing edges. You're going to get the snap, all that stuff. 
but the recording custom has the 30 degree bearing edges but it's also snappier naturally because it's birch right. is that right yep okay yep yeah that you know i didn't even think about so it so it's if it's they, not going modern versus vintage it's more like hey no. this material gave us more cut more snap so we actually rounded the bearing edges to to equal it out that would be my guess because i felt like they both were just contemporary sounding snare drums okay These were not vintage sounding snare drums so got what it. i did so we got full demos of everything on the website if you want to hear each drum and its entire tuning range from high to super low but what i spliced together for here and we've also been posting them on modern drummer social media is i i did a quick cut from you know one tuning of the five and a half tour custom and then quick cut to the six and a half the exact same tuning so we can really hear like is there a really big difference when you go from five and a half to six and a half or is there not um, so we can drop in. I don't know. Pick a tuning, and then we'll do that first. Um, so I'm a fan. Got, Let's start with high. I like okay. going high. So we'll do tour custom high first. First of all, I mean, we're looking at the video. We know which one is which. But if if you had to guess, I think it'd be hard to pick which one is which for me personally, I think. Yeah. Here's my takeaway, and I wasn't in the room with you, so I'm only judging based off the recordings. I really only hear it in the overtone. Yeah. The attack sounds the exact same to me. The ghost notes sound the same. It's just that little bit of overtone. The five has a higher-pitched overtone. Yep. Uh, other, otherwise, I wouldn't be able to tell at all. The only uh, they tiny both sound fantastic. detail I can hear is that it felt like the snares were just more more upfront on the shallower drum, but just just mm-hmm. ever so slightly. I think if I would have just you know put a high end shelf EQ on the on the six and a half, it would have matched it. But these are like the exact same mic settings, exact same mix. I tried to make them the same distance from the drum, so you're just hearing what what is it shell versus head versus snare wires, right? Um, yeah, so I think yeah, very I mean, tight, for, you don't really hear a huge difference. No, I, th- I think the other thing that's pretty obvious is that at that price point, that's a fantastic sounding drum, five yeah. or six and a half. Yeah, yeah. the price is 580 for the five and a half and 640 for the six and a half. And that's list price, so I'm and sure you can. And that's list, yeah. yeah. That's, that's a, it, as, as designed, these are drums that you could take on the road, beat the snot out of, and not cry yourself right. to sleep at night yeah <laughs> and, and you know obviously it totally differs from store to store but a lot of times on an amark item like this you can at least expect 30 percent off list sometimes quite a bit more so um when we say 580 just know that that's you're going to be playing paying much closer to four or even less than that so for that sound that's pretty amazing all right you pick the next one um let's go like medium somewhere in the medium so yeah just medium Okay, so I actually, um, one, it's not as big of a difference as you would think. Mm-hmm. I think some people think like, well, I got to have a five and then I got to go crazy and have a six and a half. It's, if you're going to tune them the same, it's not that big of a difference. I actually do hear a pitch change, though, in the ghost notes this time. Mm. Um, yeah, I wonder what that's ever coming so from. And, and now, to be, to be um, transparent, I didn't fine tune at that point. Like, I got the drum very tight perfectly in tune and then i just went mathematical like quarter turn on sure. each drum so yeah there could be a slight literal tension difference but i think it's pretty close so the overtones are really what's making it sound different i think a lot of times <clears throat> when it comes down to choosing a five or a six and a half and in the drum world 
that's a, a big difference. You know, they, they look different on your kit. They sit on the kit difference. They're going to take up more or less room on the kit, depending on how low you normally keep your snare. I mean, there are some people that keep their snare really low and a six, a half, six and a half on a 22 inch bass drum, it's going to hit the bass drum. Mm-hmm. And then if you can get an inch and a half, great. So I, the thing that I notice the most when a being the exact same snare is just the feel fives just feel a little different than six and a half. Yeah. Not better or worse. They just feel different. Yeah. And the only thing I can notice tone wise is like the six and a half just starts to sound a little bit duller, which mm. that isn't necessarily a negative thing. It's just a little, just warmer, a little richer in a certain way, which could be good yeah. or bad depending on the sound you really need. Um, yeah. And again, I would compensate with just a tiny little bit of high shelf EQ to bring the, the presence back up. But I think that might translate, especially if you start adding compression, it'll translate into more fatness and things like that. But it's yeah. again, I think it's subtle. Uh, let's go like very low. Okay. Okay. Two things. First of all, both snares dramatically change the sound of your bass drum. Right. Your bass drum sounds so much lower because the snare is lower. Yeah. Crazy. Weird. Nothing changed. Um, And and I know nothing changed. Uh, I don't think the five likes that tuning. (laughs) The six is loving it. Yeah, it does kind of bottom out. Yeah, that's really surprising. Um, And that's different. I think. Aaron Sterling made this point for us a long time ago in his uh, recording classes, but almost any drum can do the thing where you detune the two lugs closest to you and the the head is actually now slack in that point and there are no overtones. Yeah, A five can do that fine. You're not doing that. You're dropping the entire drum head down. So the head is still technically in tune, just much lower than normal. Yeah, and I'm not playing... I'm not playing any differently either. I'm trying to play the same power, the same touch across the whole thing. Whereas if I'm trying to get that fat kind of tighter sound, I would play a lot quieter. But yeah. that six and a half, it 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 dealt, it handled the, the harder hitting much better. It didn't bottom out. The five and a half just started to just bottom out. Like it wasn't it wasn't really loving it. Yeah, yeah, um, that's 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 really interesting. So. Very very cool stuff. Do you want to check out the? Uh, I think it's the recording. Yeah, custom? we should do some recording custom because this was a huge difference. We're going from five and a half to eight. So now we're talking. Oh, the biscuits! You know that extra, <laughs> that extra extra um, <laughs> makes a big difference. Okay, which uh, tune you want to go with? Uh, well, let's start at the top. Okay, very tight. That's insane. Yeah. So first impressions, what do you got? So just so everyone listening, the first drum was the shallow drum. The second drum was the deeper drum. Yeah. Uh, First impression is, you're right, uh, what we talked about in the very beginning, this is not a vintage drum. This is a totally modern drum. Uh, I think sometimes when we see anything that says 30-degree bearing edges, we think vintage. But no, that sounds totally modern. Um, yeah, I was shocked at how much it, it literally sounds like there's a tuning difference. Yeah. And there, again, there could be because, um, I mean, I, I matched the lugs, but you know, you hit a couple rim shots and who knows what happens, but yeah. But I mean, it sounds like there's, there's a, a very big difference. What did you experience in the room? Okay. So this, um, comparing, oh, let's compare tour custom versus recording custom. Yeah. Whereas I felt if I didn't have the recording customs there, the tour customs like that's great. It does everything I needed to do. As soon as I put the recording custom snare up, it was like, oh, now I'm now I'm in a Mercedes. It just had that gotcha. extra something something. It hit harder, louder, more 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 responsive to ghost notes and things. Um, it just performed at a higher like caliber. You know, I feel like I wasn't driving gotcha. something really 
really fancy, whereas the other one was like, this is a really nice drum. It does everything I needed to do. That was more like the, uh, I mean, that's a terrible comparison, but it's like the, the Honda Accord, so, Accord or something. I was going to say, you had a brand new 2019 Honda Accord. Yeah, exactly. Can, you will never have to worry about anything. You're right. good to go. Yeah, but yep. if you want to step it up a little fancy, get yourself a Mercedes, I felt like that was the recording custom. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so, yeah, so it, it, it definitely is a louder, perceived louder drum. Maybe not actually gotcha. louder, but it, it felt louder. Uh, all right, pick another tuning. And uh, the recording custom had a, had a smaller tuning range. As you can see from these videos, we only have yeah. three three examples, whereas the, the I think I had nine with the tour custom originally. Right. Let's try medium because that's the one. I feel like all drums do the gushy thing really well, or most of them do, and most drums do the high thing really well. So, but medium is tough. Let's all try right. medium. It's a big difference between those two drums, yeah, for sure. I, th- I feel like the eight rings, like the notes are connecting between, mm. you know, like the overtones yeah. are connecting to the next note, which I don't think is necessarily something I would want it to do. I would probably put a ring on it or, or dampen yeah. it down a bit. Um, I think the five and a half wins in most situations for me. This is the one of my favorite snare drum sounds is uh, Chris McHugh on the Keith Urban song, Sweet Thing. And it's that open, kind of strange, overtony, punchy, fat sound, and that five, like that was it. As soon as I played, it, I was like, "Wow, that's that sweet thing right there." And, and, wow. I, and I asked Chris years ago; he was playing a birch drum on that track. Oh, okay. So that's, very cool. That's, so let's do this. I'm like, I have a super low. Let's do uh, what is it? What is the lowest we've got? Because um, it didn't surprisingly, they didn't do the super low thing as well. I think uh, then medium low is probably your lowest. Yep, medium low. Let's do that. All right. So one thing I think we need to mention, especially to drummers out there that are somewhat new to this world of being hyper critical of snare drums and their tones and everything else is the thing that would annoy most people the most would be the overtone. Yeah. I can't even tell you how quickly that gets eaten up by a set of guitars on either side of you or guitar and bass. So try not to focus on that. What Mike and I are listening to is everything other than that. Uh, The attack... And definitely, like you said, when we were on the stage customs, I felt like the eight became a tom with a little bit of snares on it, mm-hmm. but the the five was still a snare drum. Yeah, yep. Again, it kind of it kind of becomes duller, which again could be used to your advantage if if you're looking for fatness rather than clarity. The, yeah. the five is never going to do that. The eight kind of just inherently does that. Um, right. Yeah. It's kind of, it's, it I don't was, know. I think uh, out of all of this, I, I think I really like the five a lot. I mean, eights are kind of like cool to put a picture up on Instagram. Like, I got an eight-inch deep snare. It's like, okay, cool. How often do you take that to the gig? Uh, <laughs> this five is just a workhorse of a snare. Yeah, either one of them. I mean, I was going to say I liked them both a lot. Yeah, I think that they're named appropriately. Like, I would leave the recording because I'm in the studio because it mm. it shines best in that situation and that that tour custom i mean you could take it to any gig and adjust the tuning and get it to sound right anywhere you go and done done deal i could literally i could totally see us making the mistake of asking one of the actual uh engineers in japan why'd you call it the recording custom because uh, it's for the studio why'd you call it the stage custom so you can tour thank you interview done <laughs> what good do you point. mean <laughs> yeah uh i think it's pretty self-explanatory awesome well check out all these drums uh obviously you can go to yamaha's website you can find them all over the place but also check out the full review that mike did uh in the product close-up Sweet. section of this month's issue of modern drummer i think we it's might time need... for a couple quick questions do you want to do that or do you, you want to skip it yeah yeah let's do it quick okay so we're going to run through some paper questions here First one is from uh, Micah from Northport, Florida. 
Um, a few buddies are in the works of starting a wedding band. My main question is concerning symbols. I currently have a Zildjian Rezo symbols, and they're kind of bright, but some of them are pretty worn. So I wanted to see what kind of symbols to get for this sort of gig, since it will be mostly funk and pop tunes. If I should stick to bright symbols or possibly something darker. So the, the Zildjian Rezos, I believe, are A customs with some extra treatment. So they're they're pretty bright, pretty laser beam kind of sound. Uh, what would you suggest for a wedding band, like an all-purpose pop wedding band? Man, I I just don't. I mean, I'll try to stay away from just always recommending minor stuff. So I, I I just can't see any aggressive problems with a K custom. Yeah, yeah. They just kind of do their job. Yeah, you know? I would say the same thing. And and wedding bands, you're probably going to be playing in like really bright kind of dance halls with a lot of mirrors mm-hmm. and glass and stuff. So yeah, darker would be better. That'd be my suggestion. Yep. Okay, and next stay one. away from anything that says medium. There's nothing medium about a medium crash. Those things are four inches thick. Why, why am I so upset right why now? Why are they called mediums? What I do have they even no mean? idea. I'm like, be... you mean it should be called 18-inch ride. It's not medium. <laughs> There's nothing medium about it. King! It's like thin, medium, heavy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> medium? It's not medium. It goes from thin like bush into king. <laughs> All right, next. All right, here's Todd. What is the perfect size drum pillow? Is it better to touch one or both heads? Ooh, good question. That is something, Todd, that we should A-B for you, for sure. Yeah, We I should so. A-B it and have someone guess, or you know, have one or the other of us guess, like, is it touching the front head? Is it touching the rezo yeah, head? Is it we'll touching we'll both do that. Heads? That should be an education segment soon. And, and I love that. I will put the caveat out there that every drum kind of does it a little bit differently so yeah. we have to kind of pick maybe a middle ground drum that might be most universal because i had i had a birch drum that if i had the front head muffled at all it just sounded like nothing so i had to have the front head completely unmuffled and i almost never do that so yeah it is kind of drum to drum but yeah we should definitely do that so we'll, we'll come back that. to that um yeah it's a really good question though Sorry, Todd. Sorry, we'll see you in a, in a future episode. I think, uh, well, the answer is experiment and see what works best for your specific drum. All right, let's do one more. We've got uh, Dan. Um, I'm joining a new band and have introduced some simple electronics to my acoustic setup. I have a Roland TM2 and two pads triggering various samples like snares and claps. This is all new to me, so I have a few questions. Any basic tips for using these in a live setting, mostly bars and clubs? Anything I can do to make this as painless as possible for myself and the engineer. And then what are my options for recording tracks with triggered samples in a studio environment? Would these usually be triggered live or dropped in after? Great questions. All Um, you, buddy. Yeah, that's kind of my world. So uh, live, uh, the TM2, you're going to – the best thing you can do is get yourself a stereo uh, DI box. So you run – you know your your instrument cables out of the TM2 into a DI box. So then the sound engineer just treats it like a microphone, uses XLRs. It's the simplest way to do it. I've had no issues with that. Um, sometimes the gain of the TM2, I need to crank it way up. So just be aware of the gain, the output. Your master should be all the way up. That should be fine. Recording live um, or recording tracks. Do it exactly the same way. Just treat it like another microphone channel. Run the TM2 into DI boxes, into XLR cables that go into your interface, and just treat it as if it's another instrument being mic'd up. Um, I don't do the dropping in live after very often because you don't. it doesn't affect how you play. That's like a mixing thing. So if you want to play mm-hmm. with triggers, you've got to you got to play with your bass drum triggering an 808 kick so you don't do a bunch of 30-second diddles and stuff. Um, that's what I would do. Simple. That's a good piece. If, if anyone is looking for a simple electronic setup, the Roland TM2 is is really great choice. It's like 200 bucks, maybe. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys, for your questions. Keep sending those in to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. And I am going to run and go teach a teacher camp. So my pick of the week this week is practice. Go practice. Go. <laughs> it's very simple. And we are going um, to end the show with my pick of the week. So um, sort of some drum history slash one of my all-time favorite solos slash outro music. So Elvin Jones, mm-hmm. we've talked about him a ton in the show. I think for me, he's the greatest drummer of all time for various reasons. This particular drum solo <laughs> called Ding-a-ling-a-ling. <laughs> oh, my God. What's up with you in the ding? It was off of his album Young Blood. I believe it came out in the 90s. It is quintessential Elvin Jones just playing colors and waves and textures. And he's playing yeah. with mallets, I believe, the whole time. So we're going to just kind of let this take us out into the next episode. 
Beautiful. See you next time, buddy. See ya.